Greetings, this is Jenny Bravorka, a trial lawyer and yogi based in Houston, Texas. You're at the point of learning with my friend, Peter Horn. I grew up in Buffalo and I have known Pete since childhood. When he returned to Buffalo and sought a yoga home, I told him the real deal exists at Shakti, Michelle Gigante's studio on Grant Street. I had the honor of meeting Michelle during a tough period in life, my first year at law school. Through Michelle's grace and yoga teachings, I changed my relationship with uncertainty, loss, and constraint. Man, these qualities seem to permeate our lives right now. So I'm super eager to hear Michelle's insights and wisdom. Enjoy the show. On today's show, a 5,000-year-old healing modality. To me, the practice of yoga is coming into oneness, coming into union with where we are, with the current occurrence, with how the body might ache or the mind might jump or the heart might yearn. What it means to practice during a global health crisis. We're all just learning how to sit in the eye of the storm, which means we allow it to be stormy. And the practice is how you relate to yourself during your own storm, during your own inner turbulence. How to embrace that rather than feel like there's something that you need to get out of and that there should be a result that is better than the one you're in right now. And the stakes for all of us if we don't find some way to take care of ourselves. If we do not take care of the self, we are unable to take care of anyone else and we will be unable to handle this crisis. Zoom, the nearly ubiquitous conferencing platform that many of us are using for everything from classroom instruction to work meetings to virtual cocktail parties, has only been with us since 2011. Yoga, on the other hand, has been helping people to center themselves for 5,000 years. When the director of my yoga studio here in sunny Buffalo, by her own admission, no big fan of communications technology, decided to start offering sessions over Zoom during the pandemic. I got pretty excited about the possibilities of this new point of learning. I know yoga isn't everybody's thing, and it's popular enough that most people already have some idea about it. My hope for my conversation with Michelle Gigante in this episode is that even if you already have a yoga practice, you'll hear something new, or remember something ancient. If yoga isn't something you do yet, right now may be the perfect time to try. In either case, I can't recommend Michelle's online sessions highly enough. We'll be talking about those in just a little bit. Master teacher Michelle Gigante has been guiding people toward energetic openings through a blend of yoga, breathing, and mindfulness techniques for nearly 25 years. She has an extensive background in theater and dance, which contributes to her ability to execute classes with clarity and precision, improvising sequences that are creative and playful. Michelle founded her studio, Shakti Yoga, just over 10 years ago. 
The word Shakti suits the creative energy that abounds in her studio, which during non-pandemic times regularly hosts musical performances, dance parties, and lectures, in addition to yoga classes. Michelle is also a Reiki master and Qigong practitioner. Like yoga, these are two healing practices that open energy channels. Reiki is Japanese, developed about a century ago, and Qigong is the Chinese grandmother of Tai Chi. Though yoga does help people become more fit, and some yoga centers do focus on fitness, for Michelle, the ancient Indian practice is first and foremost a healing modality. In her 20s, Michelle was living in New York City, running a theater company, working 14-hour days with no days off. After she got so exhausted that she literally passed out on the streets of New York, she knew it was time to get well. So began her yoga practice. So we're recording in mid-May 2020, at a point when unemployment levels rival those of the Great Depression. Mm. Many people have a little more time on their hands, but many others have less as they struggle to juggle working in essential areas or learning how to work from home, plus childcare, and or teaching their kids who can't go to school. How do you make the case for carving out time to, to take care of oneself? Mm. Well, I mean, we can ask that question any given day, whether it's crisis or not, right? It's such a great question, you know to make the shift in the mind's eye. And I really do think it is up to us to make the shift in the mind's eye that only we can do that from living in a state of survival and just simply getting by, right? Kind of having the lion chase you and you running as fast as you can with all of the balls up in the air and no time for anything else other than survival to um, living in a much more productive, energetically efficient time of creativity. And once again, the rational mind can certainly challenge that, right? There's no time for creativity right now. We just have to get through this crisis. But if our attitude is to just get through it, uh, we are going to be spinning our wheels and we are going to be exhausting ourselves. So we have to just stop. We have to just drop everything and uh, attend to the instrument, attend to the self. And as we start to do that, we notice that we have more energy, more availability to not only handle the crisis, but to assist others. I really truly believe we can only assist others if we have taken the time to really address the self first. It's, it's you know, it's maybe a, a trite image, but I do think sometimes about the advice on airplanes to put your own mask, Absolutely. On, right, your own mask Absolutely. on first before you can assist anybody else. Right? That's what we have to do in order to survive in a situation like that. You, you using the, the airplane as the example. And if we just apply that to daily uh, routine, to daily scheduling just stop and take care of the self first and it, it when we hear that at first it sounds selfish but um if we do not take care of the self we are unable to take care of anyone else and we will be unable to handle this crisis 
What do you wish more people understood about yoga? I'd have to say that, you know, I wish more people understood that it was okay to be where they are. To me, the practice of yoga is coming into oneness, coming into union with where we are, with the current occurrence, with how the body might ache or the mind might jump or the heart might yearn. To really come into oneness with that, to allow oneself to be fully present in whatever it is we are feeling or thinking. Our culture is so addicted to kind of bypassing those things as if there's something wrong with us and just, you know, get to the result of feeling better, feeling good all the time, you know, feeling good. And we, we often misinterpret, misinterpret the practice of healing for the practice of just feeling good. Like usually the practice of feeling good incorporates a bit of an escape and of course, there's nothing wrong with that, and we all need that. Um, but the practice of yoga gives us a chance to really be in and with our stuff. And then we learn. We learn how to address it. We learn how to take care of ourselves when we practice yoga. So if, the, so if one way to translate yoga is union... And it has to do with the relationship that you're establishing with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes all of it. Um, the, the, the stiffness, the anxiety, right. um, where, you, right. you know, where you're feeling off. Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of accepting that, being compassionate mm -hmm. about it. You know. I loved, uh, we were talking once and you gave an example. Um, if you, you were know, talking about the practice of yoga, saying, suppose you're doing... A, you know, a balance pose. The, the, the practice is not, can you balance, you know, can you hold tree pose, for example, mm -hmm. for, this, for this long. The practice is, can you relate to yourself while you're attempting mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Yes, there's so much um, life, life that can come through when we're on our mat. There's so many life lessons and what we what we do on our mat can potentially come with us off the mat and, you know, learning how to embrace the wobbles that are so natural, that are so incredibly natural to what it means to be a human being walking this planet on any given day. And, you know, particularly during crisis, why should any one of us expect to be able to hold balance during crisis, right? And we are, we're all just learning how to sit in the eye of the storm, which means we allow. We allow it to be stormy, right? And the practice is how you relate to yourself during your own storm, during your own inner turbulence. How to embrace that rather than feel like there's something that you need to get out of and that there should be a result that is better than the one you're in right now.
coincidentally, you happened to meet my mother this morning because she came, showed up at one of your uh, Zoom yoga sessions. Uh, mm. it, was, it was nearly 20 years ago that she gave mm. me a book uh, by Eckhart Tolle called mm -hmm. the, the Power of Now. Mm -hmm. Which which took the top of my head off for a number of reasons, uh, you know, drawing <laughs> drawing drawing on a number of faith and philosophical traditions. Uh, I love that expression, Peter. Oh man, well that's that's uh, that's. I love it. Do you know that's uh, Emily Emily Dickinson's definition of poetry, or, uh, or no. the, one of them? She said, you know, if if I'm reading something and I feel as though the top of my head has just come off, <laughs> then I know it's a poem. You know, so yeah, I throw that. Oh, I throw that in sometimes. Brilliant! <laughs> I love it. Well, she certainly is. Uh, <laughs> but back to Tola. All right. <laughs> so drawing on a number of faith and philosophical traditions, one of his big claims is that the the only real moment is the present moment. Mm -hmm. um, this really prompted me to consider, and again, that's not original to him, and he doesn't claim this original to him, but he's really trying to make this point. Um, and looking at, you know for example, how much of U.S. culture in particular, you know, maybe partially because our culture is often in, very invested in selling us something. Um, mm -hmm. So how much of it pulls us away from the present moment so that we're hoping for or worrying about sometime in the future, maybe, or regretting something or rehashing something that we did in mm -hmm. the past. So as a remedy to that, one of the things that I value most about yoga is its emphasis on the here and now. Mm -hmm. Again, in today's class, for example, a refrain that you happened to use um, was life as you now know it. It was one of the mm -hmm. breathe in, life as you now know it, breathe out, life as you now know it. Was, but it, it was a real emphasis on life as we're experiencing it, as you're experiencing mm -hmm. it right now, not as it should be, not as you'd like it to be, um, so, especially, you know, I wondered if you'd want to riff on the idea of the now um, mm. for a moment. Well, bringing it into the practice of yoga just for a few moments, there's so much that we can learn through the body. And what I mean by that is the body is the thing experiencing the present moment. Right, The body is the one that is seated on the chair, in the living room, in the house on the west side of Buffalo on May, whatever day it is, at whatever time it is. It is March, um, March 70th, right? <laughs> okay. Seven, March 75th, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, the, the body is the one that is experiencing the temperature, uh, the body is the one experiencing the sunlight, right, et cetera, et cetera, as well as, um, you know, just very human conditions like hunger or yearning or aching, right? And we learn about the life we're living in the present moment through the body, through this instrument, through this conduit. So being able to stop and pay attention to where the body is and to how the body is feeling is schooling us into the moment. It's a wonderful way to become present. And, you know, we often think about the body as... <sighs> 
you know, how we want the body to look when we're done with the fitness class, the yoga class, the this class, right? That we can touch our toes or that we have the tight abs or what have you. But, you know, in actuality, the body is really the link to the now. And the mind will be more up to join it if the mind is pay atten- paying attention to the breath. Right? So the breath is also another tool, another link into the moment. If you just really stop and think about it, you know, every second, you know, is a breath, is an inhale, is an exhale. So if we can just stop and bring the mind into the breath, we're giving ourselves the chance to be in the present, to be in the now, you know, the power of the now. How is it powerful? Why is it powerful? I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not really sure I can answer that. I think it's very, very individualized, you know, how we filter these moments that we're living, how we see, how we smell, how we taste, how we feel. It's it's all a very personal experience. Um, but when we allow ourselves the chance by way of the body, by way of the breath through the mind, by way of the mind through the breath, to come into the now, right? it really is a gift to feel one's heartbeat, to hear the birds sing, to feel air brushing the skin, things that we just, you know, walk through the day not paying attention to, the things that we take most for granted, being alive in the now, right now. You talked about how the the breath facilitates that, so I'd like to talk Mm -hmm. about breathing um, for a second. So most classes I've ever taken at any yoga studio, most classes begin with attention to the breath and continue mm-hmm. to attend to breathing throughout practice. Mm-hmm. You've said that intentional breathing can help to extract unnecessary thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. stagnant energy, tension, insecurity. Mm. How, does it, how does this work? The breath is a buffer. So the breath just simply helps us handle whatever's coming through. The breath is like a cushion a little buffer pillow between you and reality in such a way that you can tolerate, that you can tolerate your reality with more peace and more ease. Uh, the, the softness that comes through when we inhale, uh, the relief that comes through when we exhale, you know, just by paying attention to it and allowing it to correspond and correlate to the thought and the sensation. Once again, it's yoga, it's the union. When the breath comes in to the experience of, you know, the said sensation or the thought that comes to infiltrate the mind, when the breath is there, it buffers the sensation and the thought in such a way that we can handle it that we can tolerate, that we can be with whatever is occurring. The practice of yoga 
incorporates a kind of a skill of breathing, if you will, where we are continuing to train the brain to go into the breath. You suspended classes at your studio, Shakti Yoga here in Buffalo, in mid-March. And by the end of March, with the help of tech guru, Christina Stock, <laughs> you were leading uh, centering meditation sessions on Facebook and yoga sessions on Zoom. You do accept donations, but you're quite clear that if people can't afford to contribute right now, that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay, first, thank you. You know, six days mm -hmm. a week, these sessions help me structure and center my day. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's another thing that occurs to me, and that's thinking about the difference between participating in one of these live Zoom sessions, you know, even with my mic muted and my camera off for most of it, uh, as I generally do it, mm -hmm. versus, say, like moving along with a yoga video on, mm. uh, for example, like on YouTube, there was one mm -hmm. I used to I used to do to start my day every morning before I would go teach at school. Um, there's a there's a seven minute video out there that I must have seen a thousand times. Mm. Um, but you know, so one difference is that you, uh, as the as the guide, are different every day. You know, so there's a nice variety mm -hmm. to what you ask us to do, just as there would be in a live class. But I wanted to ask for you as a, as a teacher or as a guide for this practice, how do you think differently about the classes that you improvise for a Zoom mm. connection as opposed to what you do, uh, what you're used to doing in a face-to-face -face connection? I think first and foremost, uh, it's very much the same. So, you know, I show up, I hook into my breath and the breath creates um, a tapping into creative energy, the word Shakti. Um, and I just simply offer from there. I, I never have a plan. Uh, I never have a script. Um, it's always an intuitive offering. So in that way, it's the same. And it's proven to be very helpful because I'm really getting a sense from the people tuning in that they are having a fairly unique experience, you know, regardless if it's through technology or not. So, so that uh, pleases me greatly. Um, you know, how it's different, I suppose, is, is the most obvious is that we are just not all physically in the same space at the same time. And there's a bit of a, a thriving of energy, a sharing of energy um, that cannot be replaced you know it makes it dramatically different to do this by way of um you know screen and camera if you will um but the benefit i feel is the same which is you know you're tapping in to your breath awareness and letting your body move in a very intuitive expansive experiential like way um and we are all there to support you in doing so. And the little uh, kind of counsel that we hold at the end is just one of the many ways to celebrate that 
community being together. So that's how it's very different from, say, a YouTube video where I just kind of shoot it and put it out there and you watch it at your own convenience is that we're all going through the experience together, um, you know, alone together, if that makes sense, right? Everybody's in their homes doing it alone, but yet there is a still a sense of community that is being shared. And that's, that's one of the nice things about being able to offer through the, uh, through the zoom platform as we're doing it together. And it's one of the the facets of your teaching that I admire, let's say I think is a great practice for any teacher, is to ask um, participants, to ask students, how is this going for you? You know, what's working Mm -hmm. for you? What could be better? What suggestions do you have? And it was, in fact, a student's suggestion um, to say, well, what if we unmuted our microphones mm-hmm. for the ohms, you know, at the beginning and the mm-hmm. end, so that you, so that there is a sense, you know, you don't want people's mics on all the time. There are a lot of dogs, you know, in particular <laughs> right. in this, and small children, uh, you know, who come in. So it wouldn't be great to right. have the mics off for everybody all the time. But at the beginning, at the end, for this, you know, the the sacred sound of ohm, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's got to be something to hear that. Um, from all the places that you're hearing it. Mm, yes, and you know, in the past, when, when we started doing Zoom, before we did the unmuting for the ohms, you know, I, w- I would hear it like through my imagination. I'd hear it deep inside the, the, the well of my heart and kind of, you know, imagine what it would sound like, you know, but this is, it's just awesome. And, you know, as those ohms come through, you do hear people's environments you do hear the dogs and the children and it's it's just awesome and in a newfound way and in a way where it would normally sound uh where the critical mind would normally be like oh this is chaos and it's just the most joyful sound ever to hear the union of us um coming through technology yeah, for me, one of the practice or the aspects of the of the this Zoom version of Shakti um, of your studio that I love is you know is being able to practice with friends of your studio who are now living in mm-hmm. California or Colorado mm-hmm. or Boston or Spain. Um, mm-hmm. Heard from somebody in Florida this morning um, mm-hmm. or today. Uh, I guess you know one of the one of the questions that I have been asking uh, you know in my work as a consultant researcher, one of the things I've been talking with teachers and school leaders about in recent weeks is whether there are any, despite that it's hard, you know, this is this is obviously hard and harder right, in lots and lots of ways that we'd like it to be. But also, is there anything that opens up? Is there anything that's kind of a, mm-hmm. that's, that you've been forced to look at a different way or to yes. try something yes. that has been a positive um, for yes. you? Yeah. Yes. I'm extremely grateful for the the have tos like the stuff that I have had to do during this crisis has opened me up as a human and as a facilitator in a new way that is so unexpected you know I can be pretty stubborn and pretty set in my ways I've been doing this for over you know 20 20 something years like 25 years and um I am very consistent and perhaps to a flaw. I am so grateful for um, 
having been forced, <laughs> you know, forced is kind of in quotes and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, parenthetical, uh, gently, right? Having been forced um, to take on this new form of expression, this new form of communication, this new form of holding space. And uh, it's been a, a true pleasure and a great gift. And I know not just for me, but for many others that 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 can actually occur, that we can share energy, that we can feel connected through technology, from with technology is just extraordinary because I've always been um, against, you know, technology is the thing that is like tearing us apart as as humans as far as being connected, right? There's such isolation. I think isolation. it's all these damn podcasts. I think that's... <laughs> no? <laughs> I mean, of course there are benefits, but, you know, the kids that are on social media, you know, oh, yeah, sure, it sure. serves as, it serves as their way to communicate and then creates great isolation. Yet here we all are um, giving thanks, giving thanks for that very thing, you know, because it's it's pulling the community together. And it is how we show up for each other. It is how we have to communicate. Um, and it, I will probably continue to do so when the crisis is over because there are students, my West Coast students, my, there's, like you said, people in Europe, people down South, like they want to stay connected to Shakti. Mm-hmm. So... I, you know, I got the kick in the pants and now I got to keep going, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's another thing about showing up. You know, I often think, you know, uh, the difference between like a team sport uh, and individual practice. Um, You know, there is something about the, you know, even when you're not feeling like it at all, you know, that 3.30 Mm -hmm. practice starts or whatever and the other people are going to be, you know, you've got this, You've got this community that you're working with, mm-hmm. putting on a show. Mm-hmm. You know, same sort of, same sort of thing. Um, but I, you know, I, you know, sometimes I can't make it. You know, to the twelve forty-five session. Um, and, but I do think, uh, well, you guys are there um, in a way that I never would. Like that YouTube mm-hmm. video is out there, and I'm not going to be able to watch it. And won't that, <laughs> won't that be mm-hmm. something? I mean, there right. is there is a community that I could be a part of, and there's something mm-hmm. that I'm kind of missing out on uh, by not being a part yeah. of it. Yeah, showing up, you know, showing up for each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's different. It is. As a companion offering for this episode, I'll release a short YouTube video cut from an actual Zoom session with Michelle so you can get a little taste of a few of the elements that have been typical in her online classes six days a week. Tuesdays and Thursdays tend to be lower impact, involving a stint on a chair, for instance. But all classes proceed with compassion for what people may be living through right now. Every class, I should also mention, is preceded by a 30-minute centering session involving meditation, breathing, and mindfulness. Those happen on Facebook Live starting at noon. The mini-session I'll share includes a breathing exercise, child's pose, 
and a gentle body shake that comes from Qigong. Breathing we've talked a little bit about um, mm -hmm. already. So I wanted to go with the uh, child's pose for a second and just talk with you about it first. Mm. Uh, so along with downward facing dog, um, I think this is one of the poses that many people who have even just a passing acquaintance with yoga mm -hmm. may be familiar with. It's a, it's a kneeling forward bend pose and there are variations, mm -hmm. but essentially you kneel and bend forward with your head to the floor and your arms at your sides or sometimes extended in front of you. Uh, but you've said that you personally have gravitated towards this mm. pose during this time. Mm. Um, and I wanted to, uh, just to, what's that about for you? <laughs> Do you think? It's about, <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. I, you know, I never think my way in like, hmm, what would be the good pose to do today? I have been gravitating toward uh -huh. child pose probably more regularly than the past. And I think it's, you know, it's a response to, mm -hmm. to the current crisis. And the shape to me is one of two beautiful things. One is, uh, you know, it's a genuflection. It's a bowing. It's, it's an honoring. So it immediately hooks me into to higher, higher power, higher source, you know, a real, um, honoring, uh, honoring of this process and a surrendering to this process through that genuflection where you lay the waist upon the ledge of the thighs and you bow inward. And secondly, um, you know, the, the, the posture, um, speaks refuge. You know, I feel like each posture has a beautiful kind of language that is whispered through the body. And I feel like child's pose speaks the language of refuge, of, of protection, of shelter, of inwardness. Um, but inwardness, you know, in, you know, not inwardness where we're um, barricading the world out. Oh, we're just really allowing ourselves to drop in to uh, some inner depth of the self. And, it, and it's literally a, a grounding, of course. Maybe that's too obvious, mm -hmm. but, you know, I realize I asked you if you gravitated toward it, and, of course, it does point you <laughs> down to the, right, to right. the, to the earth. Um, there's just something about the name. So in English, and of course, all these all these uh, poses have uh, Sanskrit, uh, mm -hmm. you know, names uh, that come to from from a five thousand year uh, mm -hmm. tradition. Mm -hmm. In some cases, uh, they're that old. Yeah. Um, but in English, it's also sometimes called wisdom pose. Is mm -hmm. that right? I just love that. Yes. yes. It, yeah, I yes. love it. Yeah, as a teacher, I love that another name for child's pose could be wisdom pose because there's a lot mm -hmm. about, of course, the wisdom of children that adults could stand to learn from. But I wondered, yeah, why do you love it? Like, what do you have a do you kind of have a thought about that or the connection between those? Because sometimes they're, you know, presented as antithetical, like the opposite of wise as kids and stuff like that. You know, like, right? Yeah. Right. And yes. Once again, it just it just blasts your mind open when you hear something like that. That child's pose is also called um, wisdom pose, you know. And I think the link is you know, what you what you've already said that a, as we bow in, as we take this genuflection, it, it's a gesture of humility. So it allows us to have the mind of a child, and you know, to really seek. The innocent mind, the mind that is not yet 
tainted, the mind that does not think it knows everything about everything, right? And from that, you know, the wisdom comes. Wisdom is something that we experience through the course of time. And to be able to continue to take oneself back, to kind of undo the workings of the mind and just to be present, right? So now we're kind of going back to perhaps one of your first topics that you brought up a little while ago, you know, the the power of the now can come through when we let the mind just really, really drop, to drop the junk out of the head and to perceive life with the eye of a child, right? And there's such wisdom in discovery, Right? You think about children and how they discover, they come upon for the first time, you know, what a tree looks like, what a tree sounds like, you know, what, right? And we always feel like we already know and we, we miss so much in the assumption, in the assumption that we already know everything, right? And then there's this this gentle shake uh and then i don't personally i don't recall seeing it uh in other yoga settings and mm-hmm. so um you know i as i said I, i'm looking to release a, a short companion video for this segment so that people can see it uh but how would you describe what what you're physically yeah. doing um for for people listening right well what has been cultivated over the past 13 years of, of me um, offering it my, my own space at, at Shakti Yoga is a mixture of, of yoga, of breath work, of meditation, and of Qigong, which is basically the Chinese form of yoga. And some people perhaps um, know the word Tai Chi. That's very similar, similar healing modality. So I try, I, not, I don't try, it comes, it just seems to come naturally where I, I blend all of those, um, uh, you know, the aspects uh, of physicality and of breathwork and of mindfulness together so that we can really tap into an energetic flow. And that gentle shaking that we've been doing so consistently through this uh, crisis and through virtual the virtual offering of yoga um, it's really just it's come intuitively as a like a little piece of medicine for each and every one of us to uh, be able to drain the lymphatic system and keep the the energetic body as uh, you know efficiently opened you know it it opens the energetic channels essentially it's to be able to let the breath move through the whole body from the feet to the face with this very very passive shake this gentle pulse of the entire body for one or two minutes and where people get a little um, hung up or perhaps they stray away for a few moments is they often will think of the shaking as like as if they have to shake out their tension or get rid of their stress. And it's really a way to shake your way into your own circulatory system in a very, very passive way and really sustain it for 
a good solid minute or two. And it seems to um, be assisting people in uh, perhaps a new way of, of finding that flow, finding that flow inside. Yeah, I, I totally love it. And I've seen you many times at the beginning of class doing it yourself, you know, to mm. like this is back in, in, in person um, at mm. the studio, doing it yourself before you begin to lead a class, mm. maybe to maybe get you in the zone a little bit. I don't remember ever doing it in class. But I do remember when I asked, I was talking to you about uh, performance because you have this you know, strong background mm. in theater. I was talking to you about kind of like, you know, finding my energy before, you know, I come on in, in a particular mm -hmm. scene. Um, this was uh, for a show I was doing in December. And, 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 and you recommended this as something to mm. do kind of in the wings before coming on stage. Um, and I don't think I told you that I did do it. You may have assumed mm. that I would. Uh, but I, I did do it and it was it was very because it is uh, you can you know you can do it for quite some time but it just kind of gets you um, mm -hmm. it gets you there and it helps right. to I mean wherever wherever there is but it helps to kind of mm -hmm. clarify and keep you from getting you know too tense um, you know it just kind of like it, and it gets things flowing mm -hmm. um, so it's not surprising that it would be a part of um, you know, something that we'd come back to as a kind of daily medicine mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. time. Um, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I always assume that whatever I tell people to do, they will do, Peter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you got just, it. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can only offer it out, then it's up to you. <laughs> but secondly, I think one, one of the things that has uh, excited me about this experience that we're in by way of, of crisis is that yoga is being utilized um, perhaps as its truer essence, which is medicine, you know, medicine, not a medicine that cures, but a medicine that heals, right? And, and we all need to heal from this experience, whether we have the virus or not. Um, there's major healing that needs to be done in the current and when this eventually resolves itself. So I feel like the uh, traditional roots of yoga is perhaps gaining uh, more notoriety, more potency, more potency during this experience. I mean, you know, disciplining yourself to do Chaturanga Dandasana and, you know, fitness yoga right now is only going to take you so far in crisis. It's not really much different than if you were in the studio three months ago to now. And we have to always be adapting to the now um, from the practice. The practice helps us adapt to the now. And the now is we need healing, Right? Globally, the planet needs healing and every single human being on the planet needs healing. So here we are, you know, in the practice of yoga, in this modality that allows the channels of the body to open. I wonder about this, uh, you know, this this fitness part, um, mm -hmm. 
because uh, I think w one of the things that you know when I uh, talk with people about yoga and they say you know they you know, ask um, you know what I what I perceive as you know some of the the benefits. Uh, one of the things that I'm very clear about, you know, after I do a little short commercial for Shakti, is that <laughs> is what well, is that, you know, every studio is different. You know, it has a different feel Absolutely. to it, just as every kind of house of worship is different. You know, you yes. can be, you can and be the voices in it. Yeah, yeah. You yes. can. I mean, you can you can be a Presbyterian, but this church is not going to be just like that church. You know, over there, mm -hmm. even if they're both mm -hmm. you know Presbyterians. So it stands to reason that yoga classes, and sometimes they have. Uh, different aims, and especially in the U.S., it seems like you know a lot of people can mm -hmm. be driven toward a kind of fitness-based approach. And it's not mm -hmm. that it's not that if you do uh, yoga uh, uh, consistently, you won't become more fit. But that's right. but it's kind of imposing this other aim up, upon mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. and this kind of goal-oriented rather than this process-oriented rather than this right. being-oriented part. That to me is the right. is the real uh, magic and power of it. Right. Is reminding me to be that it's not about what I'm going to look like later on. It's not right. about what I'm going right. to be able to lift or stretch. And we've talked about this a little bit, but there are sometimes I think some you know it kind of goes into a category of like exercise. You know, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in and there, you know, there's certainly the exercise dimension, but it's more than just kind of a, you know, a physical. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it makes sense. I mean, because that's what sells, right? Everybody wants to have a better body. Everybody wants to look better. Everybody wants ten more years, you know, added to their existence. This is, an, you know, a very normal. Uh, thing for us as humans, right? And um, the practice of sitting and being in the now and, and really being present with your own aches and kind of address them as they come up, it's less appealing. <laughs> it doesn't quite have the high industry market, right? You know, so thus far, right. it might be safe to say that in the U.S., that you know that's that's how it's gone thus far but i really think you know the norm is broken right and I, I talk about this on the the facebook live segments pretty regularly um the the paradigm the the norm the the structure it's all broken whether we're talking about religion or the educational system or government this is a real opportunity as we allow that norm to just completely be broken, dissolve, um, we are giving ourselves a chance to have a new approach with life, right? A new relationship to some sort of new norm. And I believe that this crisis is bringing more and more and more people into the reality that Every human being is fragile. <laughs> that we can all get this disease right now, this very novel virus. There isn't anyone, right, that is immune to it, right? So that's an enormous wake-up call to be able to preciously embrace that, to to really hold space for one's vulnerability, to really be able to hold space for the practice that can heal us, 
you know, rather than um, I'm going to continue to do the fitness work, making myself as strong as possible and blocking out the reality that this thing could, could touch me. Like it can touch each and every one of us, no matter how many chaturanga dandasanas you learn how to do, right? So I really believe this is an enormous wake-up call for us as humans. And it's not just it's not just the U.S. or Western culture. It really is us as the pack of humans coming to realize um, that there is work to be done on addressing, on really addressing one's vulnerabilities and working with them from a very compassionate place rather than um, a false sense of security that often the fitness industry can present. It's not that there's anything wrong with having a practice that makes you fit and that promotes a healthy well-being. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just it might not really be taking us deep enough into the core of who we are as humans. That's it for today's show. If you want more information on either the Facebook centering sessions at noon or the Zoom yoga sessions at 1245 every day except Sunday, visit ShaktiBuffalo.com. Thanks to Robbie Padmanabha for permission to use musical selections from his 2018 album Meditations available on Bandcamp. Ravi has performed and accompanied sessions at Shakti many times over the years. My great thanks to Michelle Gigante for spending some time with me via Facebook audio. I'd also like to name some of the other outstanding instructors who have guided my yoga for nearly 20 years now. Nicole Mode, Magda Caraballo, Brittany Mazzuti, Debbie Diver Kephart, Krista Lee Heights, and Abby Spindleman grateful for all of you and all y'all other yogis and non-yogis alike. My favorite translation of namaste is I honor the divine within you. And I mean that. It means so much that you listen, especially right through to the credits, and I will have a little something special for you at the very end of today's episode. Thanks as always to Shafa James for letting me use instrumental versions of his songs for intro and outro. If you've ever wondered what his voice sounds like, stick around, which I guess is a pretty big hint about the surprise bonus. It's a hidden track, you guys. I'm Peter Horn, and Point of Learning is recorded, written, edited, mixed, and produced by me here in sunny Buffalo, New York. Please take a moment to rate, review, and share this episode with just one other person you know who might dig it. It will mean most coming from you. I'll be back at you just as soon as I can with social psychologist and New York University professor Jonathan Haidt, author most recently of The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. See you then. But I was just like, you know, this is exactly the same, but of course... I don't know. We're never exactly the same, right? <laughs> there's, right. there's a yogic meditation to begin with. Uh, there's your podcast <laughs> for you. <laughs> okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Right. Um, <laughs> Dead airspace for an hour after the statement. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Just drop it. Just drop it. <laughs>
Schaefer James is not only a disquietingly talented songwriter and performer, he's also a great friend and a generous man. You can see and hear him live from his Jersey City apartment every Sunday night at five minutes after seven throughout this period of social distancing through his Instagram account at Schaefer James Music. That's Schaefer with a Y. In that very apartment, he composed the following song called With Love from Quarantine which I have special permission to present. If you like it, visit Schaefer James on Bandcamp.com to purchase a download. 100% of sales will be donated to SweetRelief.org, which supports the many, many musicians whose lives and livelihoods have been disrupted by COVID-19. Mostly I've been doing fine Keeping all my plants alive Reading books and cutting back on boo guess it takes a quarantine to educate a Philistine What he's got and what he's got to lose But I'll see you on the other side of this, my friend I'll help you get your boots back on the ground I'll see you on the other side of this, my friend And if you need me I will always be around Mostly I'm okay alone A solitary chaperone Today I wore a tie to make my tea I guess it takes some time away To calculate the hell I'll pay For living in an unforgiving dream But I'll see you on the other side of this, my friend I'll help you get your boots back on the ground I'll see you on the other side of this, my friend And if you need me, I will always be wasn't long enough to reach You offered me some slack And baby, now I got your back I'm learning how to practice what I preach But I'll see you on the other side of this, my friend I'll help you get your boots back on the ground See you on the other side of this, my friend If you need me, I will always be around Yeah, I'll be there on the other side of this, my friend I'll hug you and you'll tell me what you've seen I'll be there on the other side of this, my friend Sincerely yours With love From quarantine 